Hello and welcome to the fourth On the Couch with Cuttings podcast. My name is Amy Peake and I'll be hosting today's podcast together with my fellow director, Susie Reinhardt. As we approach an important time of the year for listed companies, we thought it'd be really timely to focus today's podcast on the upcoming reporting season. In particular, what investors and analysts are thinking about as we head into results, along with some tips for companies preparing for the upcoming results. So today we're joined by Matt Nicholas, Small Caps Analyst at Credit Suisse, and also Paul Biddle, Portfolio Manager at Celeste Funds. Thanks for joining us. So Paul, to kick us off, what are you most focused on this reporting season? Uh, For us, it's all about executing our investment process, and that continues to be um, looking at business models, how robust they are, how durable the cash flows are that they generate. It's looking at the quality of the accounts to see whether they're stated in a conservative or aggressive way. It's looking at board and management teams to make sure that they are of high caliber and executing. And it's looking at valuation and it's understanding the nature of the cash flows to understand the nature of what you're paying for an asset. Thanks, Paul. And what about you, Matt, in the small cap area in particular, which is your kind of focus area? What are you looking at for reporting this season? Along a similar vein to Paul, I think there's going to be an elevated uh, level of focus on result quality this upcoming half. Um, In many cases, we know the result for a lot of companies across the market. Many have pre-reported or they've guided towards the end of balance day. Um, but you know, given the level of scepticism and uncertainty out there, there's going to be a lot of focus on cash flow, um, which will reinforce underlying confidence in earnings quality. Um, I think there's going to be an especial level of focus on how much of these results have been reported, supported by subsidies and how much of that is actually split out by companies. Um, and I think what's most important, given the level of or relative level of certainty as to what's being reported, more so the trading momentum post-balance date, because there is a level of uncertainty as we head in a potential into a potential fiscal cliff at the back end of the year, um, and that's probably been elevated a bit by events in Melbourne over the last week or so. So, I think the market is going to be looking for some sort of guidance as to how trading has progressed post June 30. Thanks, Matt. That's that's very helpful. And Paul, what's your number one tip for companies preparing their results presentations this time around? Oh, look, I, I think every company's focused on their results, but investors and analysts are looking at multiple company results. So it's all about be extremely clear and be prepared to assist, as Matt said, the market understand your numbers. So if there are abnormals or extraordinary costs, revenues, pull them out and let the market decide whether they are one-off or not. And that would include, as Matt said, subsidies that have occurred through COVID, but also costs that have occurred. And I think it's really important to remember it's, it's a busy time of year. So being completely open with these aspects lets the market decide and you don't then get penalized where people are confused by a really nice 40-page slide deck, but it doesn't actually tell them what they need. Yeah, really, really good point there, Paul. Matt, have you got any other tips for companies preparing for reporting season in addition to Paul's comments? Yeah, sure. I think Paul's point about clarity, that would apply in every reporting season, but just given the heightened level of uncertainty around environment, earnings, quality and so forth, um, it's especially important to understand on a stock-by-stock basis what the key touch points are from a market perspective and be as clear and transparent around those as possible. Um, there is going to be a heightened level of focus as to what trading momentum looks like post-June 30. 
um, particularly given what's gone on in Melbourne. So an element of some sort of visibility around those going to be helpful. And I think all other things being equal, and this applies in a normal market, but I think it's amplified in the current environment. A stock that does a decent job on an IR basis, all other things being equal, will attract a high P than a stock that has questionable IR, questionable accounting, doesn't address the key points out there and leaves questioning questions in investors' minds. Because at the end of the day, when invest one thing the market doesn't like, particularly in small caps, is uncertainty. Um, and uncertainty equals a lot of selling in the current climate. Yeah, we certainly know investors don't like surprises. So, Matt, are you expecting companies to report differently given COVID-19? Um, look, it, it was already going to be a quite convoluted reporting season. So, for starters, you've got AASB-16. Um, that's not necessarily an issue uh, pertinent to COVID-19, but um, it's an accounting change that's been brought in that benefits approximately no one. Um, but just given the level of uncertainty surrounding the macro at the moment, I think it's going to be paramount that companies disclose two sets of accounts. It's an unfortunate situation, but it's necessary. Um, I can't think of anything worse in the current climate than a company moving to post AASB 16 numbers when the market is really looking for underlying trends. Again, and this is something Paul mentioned earlier, there's going to be a lot of focus on subsidies. Um, I suspect some companies will call this out and others that are potentially trying to hide a few things won't. Um, and I think on that JobKeeper front, I think companies would be wise to flag what they would have done in the absence of JobKeeper because I think it's meant a lot of businesses have retained headcount a lot higher than they otherwise would have done. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but ultimately the market's looking to get to the bottom of underlying trends and anything that companies can do to help the market get to that outcome uh, will be received positively. And how about you, Paul? Earlier this week, we saw one of the analysts saying that this reporting season, it's going to be the mother of all kitchen sinks. What's your view on that? An opportunity for companies to write off assets, uh, goodwill uh, that they are now finding probably they've overpaid for. I go back to Matt's point, and that is you've got to always go back to how can I help my investors better understand my business? And if you are not clear in the costs and the revenues that you are incurring that are one-off, if you aren't clear about it, how can they understand it? And so, again, in a really busy, I, I call reporting season, it's like a classroom of noisy little kindergarten kids. It's because it's so busy and so noisy and everyone wants to get heard. But if you make it simple, you will get heard. And your story will actually get traction and people will want to own your company. If you don't really have a clear story around what is happening strategically. And Matt, Matt nailed the point, you know, this has been an amazingly um, volatile period for companies around things like employment, supply chains, what's happened to working capital, what is now happening in the business that you now don't think you were going to invest money in, in a capital sense. These have all happened in one hit. So strategically, it's now a really important time to say, this is core, this is not. These are the costs. We don't. We, we we won't incur these, or we won't get this subsidy in future periods. This is the new base that you need to work on for next year. Because for an analyst, it's an absolute nightmare because there's no guidance. There won't be any guidance. They'll have to actually form a view around what they think sustainable underlying earnings are, and to do that, you actually have to provide lots of key markers 
a bit like Hansel and Gretel dropping the cake crumbs behind you. You need to actually give them something that they can form a forecast for because Matt's going to write a note the night if the result happens and he's going to want to have a forecast in there. And you don't want the forecast to be 25% higher than what you think you're going to do next year because that's just trouble. And, Paul, uh, last week we heard from a fund manager that he'd be looking um, if companies weren't able to give a quantitative guidance that he'd be looking for companies to give a qualitative um, view of the outlook. What's what's your kind of opinion about that or thoughts? Uh, I would caution people who use terms like it might be better, it will be a bit better because the definition of what better is is in the eye of the beholder. I, I suppose what I would say is it's very important to go back to what Matt pointed out and that is when you report you will probably have four to six weeks worth of visibility of what's happened in your new year. I would say you can give some view around what has happened in that period. And then that allows the market to then make an assumption around, is this recovery? Is this growth? Is this uh, event that's happening in a revenue and cost sense likely to be recurring on a go forward basis? But there's some sense and link to what's happening in your business. Using words like it will be better, it will be higher, I think are a nonsense and they open you up to just getting more people ring you and ask you, is it better five to seven? Is it better seven to nine? And then you're back on the wheel again. So I, th I think the, the you know, sunlight is the best sanitizer. And in that you say, this is the six weeks I've experienced. And we don't know either, but our guess is we're hoping it continues. You know, that's, and for a while the market's got to actually make a call. And for an investor, it's great because no one's huddled into consensus ranges anymore because there is no consensus or, or, or guidance range and that produce, produces sort of bigger or larger intraday volatility and opportunities for people like me. And what about you, Matt? What's, what's your thoughts on that? It's an interesting point Paul raises. Um, it's particularly relevant around you know, lack of consensus and volatility, which is generally a great opportunity for people on Paul's side of the fence. I concur with that. Um, I think there's a couple of things to point out. Um, firstly, you've got the ASIC overlay um, and the edict given to listed companies midway through the June half, which led to effectively the entire market pulling guidance, um, given the uncertainty as to whether that guidance could stand and whether they could stand behind that. I think that's more of a legal factor than a practical factor. So I think that's an issue to consider going forward. Um, the second issue to consider is whether companies are actually going to be in the position to have any meaningful guidance full stop. And I think the answer to that's a resounding no. So um, if you look at the variables at a play, um, you've got a Melbourne issue, which is going to last for at least the first part of the first quarter. That may transcend to a lockdown up in New South Wales. We hope not. Um, you've got uncertainty as to when fiscal stimulus, notably JobKeeper, rolls off whether that JobKeeper gets extended to some industries and not others. And you've got uncertainty as to how the underlying economy will, be, will behave once this stimulus rolls off. So you've got four or five extra variables to worry about as a company when providing guidance in August for the next 10 or 11 months. Um, and keep in mind, providing guidance is difficult at the best of times. So I don't think you're going to see a heap of quantitative guidance ranges given to the market. And I think back to Paul's point, you can only do what you can only do. And I think the best scenario there is to give a quantitative update as to how the business has responded 
in the first four to eight weeks of FY21, depending on when you report in August. And I think that it's that in itself is going to lead to an even more back-end date or backdated reporting season than what we're normally seeing. As an analyst now, I'm going through my coverage universe and looking at when companies are reporting and it's back-weighted at the best of times, but it seems to be extremely back-end weighted to the last week in August relative to normal reporting seasons. These companies are trying to get as much trading under their belts as possible so they can say something meaningful and just give some sort of credibility to the outlook. But I certainly think as a rule, you're going to get less of a quantitative outlook this year than what you get in most normal years, and that's completely understandable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens next month then, Matt. Um, just lastly, Paul, usually you've said August and September is a really busy time um, for everyone, particularly fund managers as you meet companies and discuss their results in more detail. Given the current restrictions in place and who knows where that's going to go over the next month or so, what's your preference for uh, company roadshows? Do you prefer meeting face-to-face or are you okay with the video conference call format? Yeah, look, I... I um my preference is face-to-face, but I think this reporting season, my advice would be to companies is do a Zoom meeting. Do a Zoom conference call or a standardised conference call for your results that you would have normally done um, and then organise um, maybe one to two, possibly Zoom meetings where you might use a broker to organise for you, um, you know, with a different couple of times so that, so that it fits into what is a busy schedule. And then I would do my one-on-ones with Zoom and I would actually do them uh, 40 minutes. Why? Because I think Zoom, there's less chit-chat about the footy, if there is footy, um, and you can tend to be quite punchy and get through them reasonably quickly. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think running a schedule where you're going to be across both is probably inefficient. So I think if it was me, if, uh, you know, I was the CEO, I'd make the call, I'm going to Zoom it and I can sit in a boardroom over a couple of days and knock them out of the way and then get back to running the business in what is a pretty unusual time. That's that's very timely. Thanks, Paul. We're preparing some of our clients for their roadshows. And Matt, brokers traditionally host companies for lunch. Do you see that happening this reporting period? Uh, that's a very, very good question. It sort of depends on which broker and who's in which week as opposed to the other. Um, I think going to Paul's point, look, despite all the chat around structural change and to a point there has been in terms of interstate and definitely international travel, um, I think there's a strong preference of market across across the board to conduct face-to-face meetings because the body language factor is very important, particularly in an environment like this where there's so much uncertainty around the trading climate. But the fact of the matter is, um, in the current environment, face-to-face meetings are going to be difficult to execute. Um, From a broker perspective, it's a tricky one. It's hard to see any Victorian-based management teams coming across the border. That might be a bit challenging. It might be less of an issue for Queensland-based teams, but I think it's going to be limited. Even if people are able to come into Sydney and even Sydney-based management teams, I know from a broking perspective, there's a lot of, particularly the larger investment banks that are still operating on a one-week on, one-week off basis, which means for two weeks of the four weeks in August, you're going to have you know 50% of analyst teams working from home. So it feels like the practicalities of it are leading to an outcome where everything's done in a virtual sense. And... And that probably includes a virtual lunch too, unfortunately. So I think for this reporting season only, 
um, I think that's the outcome that the market's going to have to settle for. Yeah. Well, some very insights today from Matt Nicholas at Credit Suisse and Paul Biddle at Celeste. Thanks for sparing time to come and speak with us today and on the Couch with Cannings podcast. Sounds like from your comments today, this reporting season is definitely looking to be shaping up as a memorable one, if anything else. Yep. No, everyone's a memorable one. This one's going to be interesting to say the least. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot.